Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Black Relations. I'm your host, Dr. Francesca Fajimi. If you've ever had any dealings with Blacks, you have a Black matter, so this is for you. Together, let's begin to shape and reimagine our Black relations. Whether you are Black, white, or brown, trust me, you will learn, gain, and execute just by listening. Come along. Our guest today is Chris Ramos, Senior Director of Student Finance Solutions, one of the critical organizations within the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. He has almost 20 years experience administering students, uh, critical students and financial services in the higher ed industry. Chris is a mixed second generation Mexican-American. I'm sure you'll all like to hear a little bit more on that. Chris is also an artist and supporter of artistic endeavors within various communities. Since 2015, he served as the finance and marketing director for Art House 43, a grassroots arts organization that is geared towards supporting community artists across the United States through event organization, grant proposal writing, and social marketing and networking opportunities. Chris lives in California with his wife and newborn daughter. His daughter is a little diva. You just need to meet this girl. She's a little angel. Anyway, Chris, welcome to Reimagining Black Relations. Thank you so much, Francesca, for having me on. Uh, I just want to say that I'm very, very proud to and honored to be on and uh, been a big supporter of the podcast and you for a long time since we met a couple of years back. And uh, and we're all very proud of what you're doing. So, so I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Chris, you need to tell us a little bit about your background. It's very unique, right? Mexican-American. So tell us, where were you sure. born? Where did you grow? And I'll just start out by saying, I think um, cultural identity is very a very personal thing. Um, and I think it's important to, to celebrate that um, at home and with friends. And it can be a little bit sometimes challenging in public or, you know, to, to try to galvanize others because it my background is is very kind of unique and challenging. I am a mixed second generation Mexican American. Uh, my dad's uh, parents uh, were born and came from Mexico. Um, my mom's side was was more Caucasian, um, you know, Irish and French um, uh, mixed on that side as well. Um, and that's uh, it's not uncommon in the Midwest. I grew up in Michigan, um, and there, there's a it's pretty a homogenous perspective there. Um, but there are, um, you do tend to see more and more nowadays, um, a lot of cultures coming to mix over there now. And so I think when I was growing up, it was very unique. Um, I remember um, in the small town that we were in, it was about 60,000 people that, that, that lived there. Well, there's only like four families and we all knew each other, <laughs> four Mexican families that, that lived there. So um, it's, um, it, it was called out very organically, like uh, how separate and different the communities were there, um, whether intentionally or not intentionally. Um, it, it was it was very unique. So I'm proud of of the the cultures that um, I was I was born into, um, and yeah, I I, I think uh, I think there's a big unique underlying theme in in the in the nation around mixed individuals, and I just wanted to talk about that for a second because I think. Um, you know, this, this perspective on, on mixed race um, and mixed identities uh, gets overshadowed when it comes to race and ethnicity and cultural identity. So, you know, as a mixed race individual, 
um, I can certainly attest to the challenges that mixed race people face all the time. Uh, you talk about uh, black, 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 your black matters or black, you know, reimagining black relations. But to me, that doesn't just mean skin color, but also cultural identity and even the lack thereof. So many times those from similar races don't accept you as the same cultural identity as them. And so you can feel, feel very lost and confused about who you are in the world. Um, so it's critical that there be more support, more of a support structure for mixed race people. I think also, I believe it's critical for more understanding and acceptance from those who may cast people out into kind of a, a nothing land. Cause that, you know, you, you, you just, you know, if you have a half white, half black individual with a blended skin color who faces challenges from white populations for not really being white and from black people is not really being black, what are they left to think? Right. And so, um, I think as, as much of a melting pot as people like to say the United States is, I think that's really something that needs to be shined on a little bit more to, to address. Cause, um, I think people go through cultural identity crises all the time growing up like that. So, mm-hmm. but the, for me, I'm, I'm very proud of it. It was challenging. Um, and that's part of the reason why I migrated out West is to find a little bit more cultural and, and diversity uh, in my life. So best decision I ever made moving wow. out of West. I- I love uh, what you said about mixed race because it's always been black or white most of the time. If it's not this, is that. But then you have mixed race like yourself. What does it even feel like to be a mixed race person? Chris, do you identify more with white or Hispanic? You know, it's a question that I think mixed race people ask themselves all the time, to be quite honest. Um, probably over the course of my life, more white than than, than Hispanic. but it just, it, it's almost like it goes in phases. It depends on where you live. It depends on who you hang out with. It depends on, on how you're feeling, you know, about, about society at the time. Um, I used to be a very much an advocate for, for the uh, Hispanic cultures um, that, that I was, I was ingrained in growing up. And then I kind of, not took a hiatus, but then I just kind of you kind of just kind of keep going with life and going with the flow. And it just depends on where you're working. I love working at UCLA because we're such, we're probably one of the most diverse institutions out there. Right. And there's a lot to, that I want to speak to on that today, but um, you know, I think it just depends, you know, right now I, I, I think I identify a lot more with uh, the Hispanic uh, culture um, that, that I grew up with because my wife is, Latino and we're raising a, a, a mixed race, um, uh, Hispanic, uh, daughter and, um, we're surrounded by a lot of, um, Hispanic family uh, members. And so, and, and then at work, I work with so many diverse people. Um, it's just a different setting than it is say back in Michigan or, or, or other much of the middle of the country, to be quite honest with you. So uh, it just depends, you know, um, um, but uh, I think uh, I think overall, probably right now, it's like been 50-50 for my life, but uh, it's, it's, it's somewhere around there. If I had to put a number on it. That's amazing. So it sounds like it depends on where you are and what space you're operating in at this point in time, which is very interesting because as a Black person, many of the uh, point of view is be authentically you. 
right? Just be who you are. Because for so long, you've tried to be somebody else or you've tried to be your mainstream, what mainstream expect from you. So many Black people tend to pivot. They speak like white people. They eat like white people. They try to do all those things. But now they're more like, look, just be who you are. Keep your hair the way it is. It's kinky. It's not straight, you know, just keep it the way you right, are. Right, right. So it's almost like all your life you've had to wrestle with that. Well, yeah, and and I think in, in it's it's such an interesting um, avenue to, to to kind of take a look at because because for the most part I look white, right? And so I, I I'll blend into white communities, and a lot of times they won't even know anything else about me, right? Um, and then if I'm with a lot of uh, Latinos or, or, or Hispanics, um, it's the reverse. And so I feel like people are always surprised, <laughs> whether regardless of, of, of what um, identity I'm kind of facing them. Um, and, and so that in some ways, I guess that's a little um, easier than, say, um, you know, a fully fully African-American person who is told to do this or tries to be this because they can't get away from what people visually see um, in terms of their skin color. So I guess, um, but at the same time, that being able to get away from it, then you lose a sense of yourself too. Right. And so it's, it, there's no perfect way to kind of go about it or think about it. You just kind of have to, you kind of come up in some ways you kind of have to come up with your own elevator pitch to say, you know, to, to find a way to identify with different people all the time. And it can be a little exhausting, I would say, but, um, but I've learned, I think over the long run, not to overthink it as much as I, as I can too. Um, whereas again, I may not, some other people may not have that opportunity. You know, if, if someone is clearly Asian or, or Indian or black, um, they're always on, like you always have to think about it. And, I had a story about that I wanted to share today too, but um, I'll wait till, till, till we get to that point. But yeah, I think that's mine. Amazing. So I want to ask you about white privilege, especially because you are mixed. What is your thought about white privilege? Hmm. I got a lot of thoughts about white privilege. Um, again, growing up in Michigan, it's very homogeneously one ethnicity. It's, it's, it's Caucasian to, to whatever degree that is. Um, but it's probably like 70, 80% at least, um, um, Hispanic or I'm sorry, um, I'm Caucasian. Um, white privilege is, um, not thought about enough on the, on, on the white side. I don't know how else to say it. Like it's, it's when, when I think, when I hear of things and might be getting a little bit off topic, but when I hear about like critical race theory, um, and I hear the argument from uh, the Caucasian populations and be like, we're not racist. We're not, we're not teaching racism. We're not like, I get that you believe that. And I get that you want to believe that. And in some cases you're right. Absolutely. And you wouldn't intend to do that, but there's a part of it you don't see either. And you, and, and either you, you, you just can't, or you don't want to. Um, and there's always that element. Um, in, um, as it carries out to like white privilege, I mean, privilege, you don't have to be rich to have white privilege, right? You, I guess you have a certain level of ignorance 
that gives you that privilege. You don't have to worry about the other side at all. And so um, you can continue moving on with what you were doing, whereas someone else has just something else they have to think about to get to the same place. Um, and to me, that's that's privilege. And anything, as you relate it to, to, to race or, or, or white privilege, there's just a little bit more, less of a burden that I think the Caucasian community has to deal with. Um, and, you know, sometimes wealth helps with that. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, you don't, you know, I think a lot of times people don't get afforded the same opportunities because of privilege. Um, and it's just, I think it's human nature to just do what you know, right? And and to, and and everybody's trying to get through certain days and, and you just kind of sometimes surviving and, and you're trying to get onto the next thing. And, and, and that's, that's the way it should be. But um, some people just have more to think about or deal with at the end of the day. Do you think you've received some privileges because of the color of your skin? Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, again, I, I grew up in a, in a city in Michigan that um, we have like four Hispanic families, right? And I have, I have cousins that are way darker than I am in terms of skin color. And right there is just like a contrast that people see, right? Um, they might not associate with, with me, with them or them with me, even though they're my family. So it's, it's, um, I think right out of the gate, that's just, it's just something that people tend to, there's this innate something that people go to and they, um, you know, I don't know, they, they find, they see that contrast right away. I don't know why they, sometimes it seems like a lot of the time the inclination is, it's different. It's bad. That's not bad. It's, it's different. That's it. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I definitely think that in, in Michigan, it was more of a privilege than out in, in the West. And that's why I think I prefer living out in California because, um, things, there's more to consider when you consider a person, um, than just, you know, who is there showing up to interviews or who is, um, who's working on a project or who, who is, who is at your store or whatever it is. Um, there's just more people to take a look at. And then you have just more decisions to make at that point. And, and, and rightly so, you know, you, you, you have more to consider and you, um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think it kind of level sets for people a little bit more what they should be thinking about. And it calls out what other people don't have to think about. So I would say yes, at the same time, there's there's been advantages from the Hispanic background as well. You know, applying to like um, uh, certain scholarships for college, you know, you, you get um, some opportunities there. Um, but you have to have certain scholarships for Hispanics or African-Americans because they don't get the, the initial um, opportunities as, say, the Caucasian populations, right? So, um that's just a way to catch things up. It's not the way that it necessarily should be. That's a good point. I love it. What is your thought about sharing that same privilege with the rest of the world? <laughs> it's it's a huge change. Um, if it was, you know, 90% of people get money, get, get or get a certain amount of money, and then 10% get way more. Like we're going to say, oh, we're going to spread out this money across everybody now huge political battle, huge change for everybody, just, just inherently to kind of get used to that. It's just a big change to get used to that. Um, 
with when you put race into it and 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 allocating out resources or opportunities evenly. So what should be done, but regardless, it's going to be a huge change and it's going to take years to, to see any effectual change from it. So there's going to be a lot of fighting and a lot of political battles that happen. Um, and I think as, as if we've even seen in the last six to, to 12 months in the country, it can get very violent. It can get very, I mean, it's, it's, it's live or die sometimes. And it, that is, that is insane to me um, why people go there. Um, it accomplished nothing uh, on their part and it's setting people back, you know, um, it's having a newborn daughter too. It just feels like you kind of have to, there's going to be a kicking and screaming phase. They're going to go through, they're going to, they're kicking and scream, but somehow you need somebody to kind of keep pulling this, these initiatives along, pushing people along. Be like, it's, it'll work out in the end. You kind of have to, you know, take your punches now, but I think you'll see in the end that, that it'll feel better. It, it'll feel more normal. Um, it's, it's, it's abnormal to kind of feel the way it is now um, where people are, many people are kind of put on the back burner for a lot of opportunities. Um, and as someone who employs a lot of different uh, minority workers, and I have fantastic people that, that work with me and great thought partners and so dedicated um, I kind of can't think about um, the opportunities that they get in a, I hate to use this word, in a pandering way, right? Like I have to think very fairly across the board about performance and yada, yada, yada. Even though I know some of them haven't had the opportunities that others have had to kind of be, to succeed a bit further. But I will try to kind of throw in their opportunities along the way and be like, Show me what you can do over here so I can kind of build build you up and give you some of the the, the tools to kind of to grow yourself and grow your career. But it's it's difficult because um, you know, in terms of equality, you try to treat everybody the same and equity is a little bit harder to manage because people will say it's almost like people will say, oh, let's be equal. But equity, I don't know. I don't want to give up my uh my 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 two cars and 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 where I live and, and the school that my kid is, is at, right? Like it's a big change. Um, and it's, you would think we we're a little bit further along than we are. Um, so unfortunately I think it's going to take a long time for that to happen, but needs to. You brought up something that's really interesting about resources within your organization and knowing that you have a very mixed group of people, all kinds of racial groups, and you try to be fair across the board, providing access to opportunities. But you also mentioned that as much as you try to do that, you also realize that some people, maybe they didn't even have the opportunity to be that successful or build up expertise just because of their background, right? So even if you're trying to be equitable across the board, it's still going to tilt a little bit towards those that already have the expertise to succeed. So taking that step further to even try to pull them up and give them the opportunity to learn more, I think you, you're hitting onto something. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's... And, and let me just preface this again by saying, like, I have a very multicultural staff. Like, the minority is Caucasian, right? And I think that's that's not what we set out to do necessarily. And we have to be careful about setting out to do that, 
right? Where HR will tell us, you know, you can't hire all Hispanic people, you know, like there's a, there's a favoritism there that'll come out in some lawsuit or whatever. So we have to be careful about that. Um, But if I'm being honest, I mean, I'm, I'm personally like very happy that, that we, we've gotten to that point. Somehow we got to that point and I can, I can at least honestly say that we, we interviewed and we hired and we the best person for the job. And I'm glad to say that it was a very diversity, diverse uh, population of, of, of staff at that point. Um, but yeah, you have to be very careful about who you're giving opportunities to, especially if you somehow identify with that person in some way, Caucasian, Hispanic, black, whatever it is. Um, there's this other layer of, of forethought that has to come with it. Um, and you have to be able to present and justify your decisions. Now, maybe that's, that's necessary and maybe that's what we should be doing. I certainly think there's more forethought needed there for a lot of people, especially those who are, who are homogeneously, you know, selecting mainly white or male you know, people for, for their, their, their department or, you know, their business. Um, but yeah, I don't know exactly, but there's still things that are out of our control. I can't solve the entire equity issue that, 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 that is there for, you know, gender, um, um, differences in, in pay or, or cultural differences. Um, all I can do is try to manage my little corner of the world the best that we can, but I'm proud to say that I think we, we have such a diverse group that um, they've been given opportunities and shine so well. Um, and they represent and reflect that diverse clientele that we have, the students and the parents. We are, again, one of the most diverse institutions across the nation and globally. Um, we have a huge international population, um, a, such a large undocumented population. Um, when I look at my colleagues from other other institutions across the institution, they don't they don't have that. They don't have to think like that. They don't. When I bring up um, any issues with trying to refund and get money to undocumented students who are unbanked for a variety of reasons, I ask them, "What are you guys doing?" They never had to deal with it, right? And 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 I, we're kind of leading and trying to trailblaze in that way and try to find out solutions that. Um, that we need to kind of just come up with on our own. So our staff understand those, those, those perspectives and understand those tribulations. And they bring such value in that way that a homogenous population just won't. Right. So, um, so we're just trying to manage it the best we can from our corner of the world. We can't, we can't solve for everything, but um, we support each other and we, we lean on each other and we um, try to understand where everybody's coming from. What was your first encounter with the subject of racism? I don't think it was necessarily one particular moment or interaction, um, but more of kind of a course of events over a certain amount of time. And so what I mean by that is, again, growing up in the Midwest, very culturally homogenous. Um, I remember in my high school and even college, there were very few minorities, including black people in, in school. Um, now I always seem still to organically find my way to hanging out with black and other minority school students outside of school, but looking back at it, it always seemed to be 
in maybe poorer neighborhoods or poorer you know, areas than say where the school was. Uh, and Michigan in many ways is a poor state, um, which is odd because it has some of the most natural resources and top universities in the country. So I've struggled with why there are so many areas in Michigan that are poor, especially where minorities live, um, where it doesn't really need to be. But in college, uh, my best friend was black and we were thick as thieves. We, we again, also didn't meet for the first time on campus. We, we met in an off-campus party in the projects in, in, in the city that we lived in. Um, we both went to the same college, but went somewhere else. So it's interesting to me why that could keep happening, high school, college, and so on. Maybe minority students feel insecure about congregating at school or on campus, or maybe we, we couldn't be ourselves in front of faculty or other students for the mixed race reasons that I mentioned earlier. Anyway, uh, my best friend, he opened up a lot of doors to me about the black culture that I really didn't even know a lot of them were there. So I, I, I felt stupid or ignorant about that at the time, right? But that was more than 20 years ago. So um, I think it's been a big life lesson for me. But him and his family were always super nice to me, very super uh, bright and introspective. And they showed me the world they lived in, the hardships they faced the psychological hurdles they had to first recognize that sometimes they didn't know they were there and then they had to work through them. And so I remember specifically him and his girlfriend lived on food stamps during college. And we actually lived together for a year or two towards the end of college. And I kind of felt very much a part of their world. And it kind of became my world in a little bit, a little bit in a way. And as that happened, I feel like the life that we and I lived on campus became a little bit more distant. Is this what black people deal with? Is that, is that how they feel in society? Um, distant and discouraged from reaching the prize. Um, and that's always sat with me. Like it, it wasn't necessarily one, again, one memory or racial occurrence against black people. It was a chain of events over a lifetime for my best friend, his family, his girlfriend, and so on. Um, and by the way, um, interestingly enough, uh, we lost touch a couple of years after college, but he recently reached out to me on LinkedIn the other week, and it was great hearing from him. He's super successful at what he does. His kids are grown. They're super successful. I just think it's a testament to the strong-willed friend I had to share my time with back in, back in college. But to me, um, while there are probably other specific instances, I, I, I like looking back at that one because as tough of challenges and number of challenges as there were, there's so much positivity that comes from it that um, it, it's something that I just I tend to think about every once in a while. That was a good story and reflection. Outside a formal setting, you tend to, you're okay, you can do a lot of things together. But when it gets to a formal setting, it's just yeah. a natural you know, separation, not from you or him. It just happens. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't really explain it, but it makes me think about then. It's kind of good food for thought for being on the administration side of a school now and being like, okay. There's more than just classes that people are worried about or pain or bill that are worried about. There's so much more going on in their heads that I know was going on in my head when I was in college and my, my friend's head. Um, and so I, I feel that's, that's where this, this very supportive culture from the administration at UCLA comes from is every student matters. Every student needs to graduate. What do we need to do to get them there and still be able to be successful at the business that we're running? 
Wonderful. What's your thought about equality, equity, justice? I know you broached the subject a little bit earlier on, but what is your thought about it? What do we need to do? I thought about this, again, kind of going back to UCLA. I think it's a, I want to stick with the point of how, two points. One, institutionally, what solutions can we come up with to really affect change, real change? Now, I recently spoke about this at our at our last Business and Finance Solutions Org Coffee with Allison, which I know you're familiar with, um, that UCLA will become a Hispanic-serving institution by 2025. The, the chancellor has announced that already last year, which affords us eligibility to get a number of funding opportunities that will bolster education programs and just the Latin community at large. Um, while... These distances are still, these instances are still far and few between. This is a big step forward at the institutional level. If an institution can do something like this, this demonstrates effectual change for years to come. After, uh, after the uh, death of George Floyd and countless other Black Americans, UCLA started a Black group, Bruin Resource Center, that is geared towards supporting Black students' needs during college. This is another example of creating effectual institutional change. And I'm really interested to see how that takes off because I'm, I'm very familiar with the resource center that they have now that is geared towards supporting undocumented students and Hispanic students and underserved students in general. Um, and I look at the statistics recently. Um, there, there are a lot more Hispanic students at, at UCLA than there are um, um, Black students. That is a whole other set of challenges that needs to change. And, and I think that we're, we're working through. There's a lot of good leadership on trying to get more diversity in through the admissions process. But institutional change can be so powerful. It doesn't happen nearly often as enough as, as other things. But once it does, I feel like, especially at an institution like UCLA, with the reputation that we have and the, the, the output that we put out daily, if you can get more diversity, more diverse contributors to that, that output, effectual change will will. will organically happen um, all the time. And then I think the last point that I have is more about community involvement. And I think community involvement is something I am personally passionate about. And it's a great tool for connecting to a multitude of cultures. So for instance, and you mentioned at the top, I work with an arts organization called Art Art House 43, where we help local artists connect with other artists, take part in art exhibits, write grant proposals, network with other communities, and I personally, as an artist, have found art can be such a connective tissue between people and can help um, all of us express the things we struggle with, but also the solutions we've come into and how we can live happier and healthier lives, more productive lives. It just makes for a stronger and diverse community. And so um, we found in our work through multiple cities across the U.S. that, you know, people, it's an outlet for people who struggle to, to to go through the traditional channels and to be successful. And it's just, a, again, a great connected tissue that I think carries them forward. It gives them an opportunity that they never thought would be there before. Um, and they get connected to professionals in their, in, their, in their community. And I just, community is so important to me. Giving back and supporting community, it was a big part of my upbringing as well. That's one thing I will, I will definitely say that's positive of my upbringing in Michigan. I went to a school that you had to go and do community service a certain amount of hours every year. Um, and that has always been kind of instilled in the back of my mind, which is why I like working at 
miss you like so much. So, um, so institutional change and community involvement, I think are two big ways to, to, to bring solutions for all different, all cultures, but, ex, you know, especially black communities. Beautiful. Thank you, Chris. Finally, is there anything you would like to share that I've not asked you? I mean, we, we talked about a lot. Um, I, 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 um, I wasn't sure if we we're going to have time to talk about the mixed race uh, perspective, and I'm glad we were able to, to, to hit on that. Um, I think there's, as much as I talked about, and I feel like in some ways I've had a pretty diverse um, um, experience with cultures across my, my lifetime. And I'm very thankful for that. And not everybody gets that, you know, a lot of people don't, don't move away from the Midwest. A lot do, but a lot don't. So there's that whole adage about traveling. If you don't travel. You don't understand the world. If you can't travel from Michigan to California or just a little bit further west, you're really doing yourself a disservice and community and the, and, and the rest of the community at the service. We need diversity. We need to push for that. We need to. I love travel abroad programs. We need to do more of that. Travel across the country programs or whatever, whatever you want to call that. It's not abroad, but it's it's across the country. And we just need to expose ourselves to more and more um, instances where there's there's more than just who we see in the mirror you got to understand it's it's such a beautiful thing when you start understanding um different cultures uh, the asian a lot of asian cultures i got exposed to when i moved out here and i didn't have a lot of exposure at all but i got really exposed to the filipino communities and and chinese and korean communities out here i'm just i love it you know um i'm surrounded by 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 Korean barbecue and ramen ramen places and like we go there all the time and, and we love it you know um and uh, I don't know I just think more diversity needs to be thought of top of mind from top down and um, while UCLA does a, a fairly okay job doing that there's a lot more to do um we can only help make that a reality if we're really getting involved and we need to get more involved all of us thank you so much Chris I love your closing because. Traveling is a personal mission, right? That's your own personal way of getting involved and opening your eyes to other world besides our cocooned world. So. I mean, people say all the time, what's one of the top five things people people have in common? I love to travel. Why do you love to travel? You like to see beautiful places and beautiful buildings and beautiful beaches. It's got to be about the people too. So let's. I think there's something innate in us that really wants to know more about other cultures, but maybe mm-hmm. the or hesitant or whatever it is, we need to draw that out more. Love it. Chris, I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us. I really appreciate you being my guest today. It's been in the works for so long and finally we made it happen. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. To all our listeners, I want to thank you as well. Please don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe on yourblackmatters.com. If you have any feedback for me, you know how to reach me, Francesca at yourblackmatters.com. Thank you again, Chris, for your contribution to the history we are making together. I am so excited to be a part of it. God bless you and your family and your baby, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're you're a wonderful leader and friend. Keep doing what you're doing. You have all my support. Thank you, Chris. I also sincerely value your friendship. All our listeners, may God bless you as well. I may the Lord bless the United States of America. See you next time. Bye-bye.